0: Today on Crossroads in Culture, we're going to look at why the early church was devoted to the breaking of bread together and what that meant and why it is still significant for the church today as followers of Christ. I'll be discussing that on this episode of Crossroads in Culture. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of Crossroads and Culture, where life, ministry, and culture meet. Over the last couple of episodes, I've been discussing with you the early practices of what the apostles and the disciples were devoted to as the church. Uh, We looked at them being devoted to the scriptures, they were devoted to the fellowship. The koinonia is the word that's used in the Greek language that speaks to them, not just sharing a meal together, but really doing life together. They, they were real with one another. They were vulnerable with one another. They encouraged one another. They edified or built one another up according to the scriptures. Um, they held one another accountable. And so we see that these were a couple of practices they were devoted to. And today we're going to be talking about what the scriptures teaches in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, that they were devoted to the breaking of bread. We're going to look at what what the significance of that is and what it actually meant and why that is important for us today to continue this practice of the breaking of bread, or as, as we will call it, and Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians, the Lord's Supper or communion. So we get this, the practice that the apostles and the disciples um, did within the early church was because of what Jesus had taught and the Last Supper that Jesus shared with his disciples before he would be arrested, tried, and then crucified. And it's recorded in the Gospels, but in Matthew 26, I want to read what Jesus says and what Matthew records in Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29. Listen to what it says. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them saying drink of it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins i tell you i will not drink it again of this fruit of the vine until that day when i drink it new with you in my father's kingdom now so again when we read this in the book of acts acts chapter 2 this being a practice of the early church we see this continue to 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 uh, be true of the church as paul writes Uh, in his letters, specifically, again, to the church in Corinth, is that they were devoted to this breaking of bread. And what it meant was they were devoted to meeting together as they remembered uh, what Christ had done for them in his crucifixion, and in this Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, that they experienced together. They were also devoted to allowing the Spirit of God to examine their hearts before the breaking of bread. We're going to see that in just a moment in a passage that Paul writes again to the church at Corinth. They were devoted to remembering the sacrifice of Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, and they were devoted to the proclamation of the gospel and this confident hope that they had in the return of Christ. Now, in this as they continued to practice this within the early church. As we see uh, in other instances, there were certain things that the apostles had to give correction to or, or to give reproof to the church because they had wandered from some things. An example of that would be with Ananias and Sapphira, uh, or uh, when the widows that were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food and their needs weren't being met, there were issues within the church that they had to address as the apostles. And as the church continued to grow, as you can imagine, there were other issues that they were going to have to address as well. And that was true in the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth was a a messed up body of believers, as we all are. I mean, we realize that there is no perfect church. And so Paul, shepherding this congregation... Uh, in Corinth, in a city that was very, m- very um, multicultural, a lot of different beliefs and practices in this city, and a lot of influences that affected the the, the body of Christ there at Corinth, Paul was seemingly uh, constantly pouring into them and pointing them to the truth. And one such instance was with the Lord's Supper. And the reason why was because in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, um Paul writes to this church and says that that I I'm hearing about the fact that you're you are abusing the Lord's Supper. You're using this as as like a feast, and some would even say love feasts, um, where they would gather together, do things that were not according to Scripture, do things that were actually sinful. Um, they th- those who were more uh, well-to-do uh, were more affluent, um, oftentimes would ostracize those who were impoverished, those who didn't have much. And so it became this, almost like a who's who, um, gathering together and and partaking of this quote-unquote Lord's Supper, when in fact they weren't observing the death of Christ and remembering what he did and atoning for our sins. It it became just this, this fellowship that wasn't right, and it wasn't reflective of what the Lord's Supper was to be all about. And so Paul is writing to the church, and he's addressing this. And so he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I'm going to read to you verses 23 through 29, this is after he addresses kind of what's going on, that there's disunity among, among the believers there, um, and that they are basically um, um, getting drunk, they're partying in the midst of this, and it is, they're, they're abusing the Lord's Supper. So he writes to them, and, and, and that, this section of the passage follows up what he shares with them about how they're not observing this correctly. He writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So just in reading that text, we can see the seriousness of this, that Paul's saying that you're not taking this seriously, you're approaching this casually, and as John Piper would say, callously. Uh, And and when we observe or um, we participate in the Lord's Supper, we should come to that time as we are remembering with the same amount of seriousness, uh, the same amount of reverence for what we are remembering, uh, when we are thinking on, meditating on, the the death, the crucifixion of Christ, and what that means for us as followers of Jesus. So when we when we look at this and we see the apostles and the disciples being devoted to the breaking of bread, they were remembering. This was, this was something very tactile, the bread that would represent the body of Christ, the cups, the element in the cup itself representing the blood of Christ. And they were remembering, and I I can imagine that as they, as they approached this time where they were partaking of the bread and the wine, that, that it was so real and, and really an intimate moment as well, um. And in some ways, a somber moment yet full of joy. There's that. It's kind of the juxtaposition of this. The almost like a. It, it's it just seems very ironic to some degree how we would remember the death of our Savior, but yet there be joy in the midst of this. Yet when they came to the table, when they observed this, and the breaking of the bread, there was a seriousness about this. And so, for us as the church, as we. Partake in the Lord's Supper, what we call the Lord's Supper. Paul addressed it as that as well, or or referred to as that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, or communion, or the sacrament. Um, As we devote ourselves to this breaking of the bread, we are doing so as the church. So, So they came together as a body of believers, which means that this is not for unbelievers. This is specifically for the gathering believers within the church, the believers who are the church, the body of Christ, and as the bread is broken, in the breaking of the bread, we remember Christ's death is for us who are true believers in Christ, his church. This is not a light snack at the end of a service, it's not an add-on, this should be a time where as the body of Christ, we come together and remember the sacrifice of Jesus. And before we do that, as we see in what Paul mentioned to the church at Corinth, we should ask God to examine our hearts. Now, we don't see that in Acts chapter 2, but Paul mentions this. So it stands to reason that as they came to this time in this place where they would gather together and remember the death of of our Savior Jesus, that there would be an examination of our hearts by the Spirit of God, which, which helps us not approach this casually or callously, but we begin to approach this with reverence, with fear, with humility. And so, as we are devoting ourselves to the breaking of bread, we're doing so as the body of Christ, believers in Jesus. This is not for those who have not trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, because why Why would they? If you're not a follower of Jesus, then the sacrifice of Christ is not something that you have accepted as the means by which uh, you would have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You You may believe that Jesus died on the cross— but you may never have turned from sin repented of sin confessing repenting and turning to him for the forgiveness of sin and surrendering your 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 life to him as savior and as lord if you've never taken that step then the breaking of the bread and what it what it symbolizes and what it what's significant about it really has no meaning to you it may be something that's like a mental ascent, something that is intellectual, but there's been no transformation of your life whatsoever that shows that you have gone from confessing your sins and repenting of your sin to following after Jesus as as you've surrendered your life to him. So when we come to the, the Lord's Supper, when we are breaking bread together as the body of Christ, we're doing so as brothers and sisters in Christ who have surrendered our lives to Jesus as Savior, remembering his death as the payment for our sins, that we might have life, eternal life, and a relationship with God the Father being reconciled to the Father. But as we approach this, we don't do it casually. So we examine our hearts. We're asking God to examine us so that we can acknowledge and confess any sin that may hinder our fellowship with Christ and our effective witness as a follower of Christ. Um, so, so in other words, we We don't approach the Lord's Supper or Communion, the breaking of bread, in in a very lackadaisical way, in a very, um, again, a very casual way, but yet with a contrite heart that finds joy in all that's been purchased by Christ on our behalf for God's glory and and for our good. You know, it may be that that one of the things that that you might consider. Allowing God to use to examine your heart by his spirit is obviously the word of God. In Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, David writes this and he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And if there's anything, anything in me that's not of you, I'm paraphrasing that. But if there's anything in me that's not of you, that's wicked, that's that's displeasing to you, that, that is sinful, then Show me and lead me in the way that is everlasting. In other words, God, would you just reveal to me what's going on inside of me so that I can confess that to you and repent of that sin because I want to be pure before you. And the truth of the matter is we need God by his spirit and through his word to examine our hearts because we're never as honest with ourselves as we would like to think we are. I was recently taking my oldest grandchild, our, our grandson to Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, you know, it, it's still a thing in case you're wondering, um, COVID did not kill uh, the rat. Um, it's been affectionately called the rat casino, uh, which, you know, we're not obviously, uh, for cons- casinos, but, but as we're going to, uh, Chuck E. Cheese, um, my grandson and I were, were having this conversation and, and he's so smart, and and he's sensitive, I believe, to the things of God. And so in our conversation, we were talking about hearing from God and listening to God. And he even said, he's six years old, and he says that God speaks to us by his Holy Spirit. And I'm like, yes, that's exactly right. And I said, so what, what's God been saying to you? And he said, you know, I don't really know. And I said, well, sometimes there are things that may keep us from hearing uh, from God. Sometimes it's sin. And one of the things that I like to do is to pray this prayer that David prayed in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. And so I so I quoted that to him and explained to him, it's it's kind of like asking God, God, would you take your flashlight and would you shine it in the crevices, the, the dark places of my heart, the places that I don't often go to, that I don't want to look at, and would you just shine um, the light of truth on my heart and would you show me those things that you want me to confess to you and to repent of? Um, and, and God is always good and faithful to do that. And even in his revealing sin to us, as we ask him to show us, he is gentle. He's a gentle father. And even in his gentleness, he's also truthful because he wants these things that, um, that hinder our fellowship with him, with, with God. Um, to be removed as we confess that and repent of that sin. And so I was talking to my grandson about this, and it was just an incredible uh, time as we traveled there together. And he said, Pop, you know, uh, um, when we talk, it doesn't take as long uh, to get to Chuck E. Cheese. So I said, you're exactly right. And so we were talking about some great things. But I say all that to say this, that as we're approaching really not just the Lord's Supper, but every day, that's a good prayer to pray. God, would you show me the things in my heart that are not right with you. They're not right with other people. That and God, I would confess that to you, and I, I so I could repent of that sin. I, I don't want my fellowship with you to be hindered or affected in any way. I, I want to walk in intimate fellowship with you. Um, and so, I, when I read this, what Paul says that not to take the bread or drink of the cup in an unworthy manner. Um, therefore, examine yourself. That's one of the things I think we should do before we break bread together and remembering the death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In doing that, we don't approach it casually. We, we're remembering that what the bread represents and what the cup, the elements of the cup represent, um, it was costly and that I don't deserve to, to have the salvation that God has given me in Jesus Christ. And so as I begin to let God examine my heart and he shows me these things, I'm experiencing the goodness and the grace of Jesus as he shows me these things that are hurtful, that affect my witness as a follower of Jesus, that affect my relationship with him in the sense of fellowship. And so Paul's telling the church at Corinth, let God examine your hearts. And I believe the apostles and the disciples did this as well. And for us, we should also so that we would have a contrite heart that would still, in this, find joy in all that's been purchased by Christ on our behalf for God's glory and our good. So we're we're devoted to the breaking of bread, doing this together as the church, as a body of believers. We're asking God to examine our hearts, but we're also remembering the sacrifice of Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, as we take of the bread that represents his body broken for us and, and the elements of the cup that represents his blood poured out for us. Now I know, you know, some faith traditions will use grape juice. um, Some will also use wine. um, And you know, that's just dependent upon any church. I I think regardless of what is used in this situation or in taking the Lord's supper um, is, is dependent upon, and um, each church makes that decision. But regardless the bread is representative of his body, and the elements of the cup are representative of his blood that's poured out for us. So no longer are there sacrifices that have to be made um, on behalf of our sin. Jesus is the sacrifice. He is the one and only sacrifice, and his blood initiates this new covenant that we find ourselves in with God in Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sin, a relationship with God because of what Christ has done. Also, some faith, trans, uh, faith traditions believe that that the bread actually becomes the body of Jesus, and the wine or the juice becomes the blood of Christ. That, that It's known as transubstantiation, and there are some faith traditions that believe that. However, you're not going to find that in the text of Scripture. Um, oftentimes, Jesus would use phrasing like this to refer to certain things that was metaphorical, symbolical, and, and 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 I believe this is no less the case. I believe that when he was breaking the bread, he was saying that as you eat of this bread, remember that my body has been broken for you. My body has been given so that you might have a relationship with the Father through my sacrifice. And the juice or the wine doesn't become the blood of Christ. There's nothing mystical in that sense, or magical, that happens at the Lord's Supper table if you take it at an actual table itself. Some churches have a remembrance table at the very front of their um, worship center, their sanctuary. Some have other tables throughout their worship center that people go to, regardless of what the setup is. Um, nothing magical happens there. But I do believe that by the Spirit of God, by his spirit, he's present, but the bread does not become his physical body, nor does nor do the elements of the cup become his blood. It's it's a time for us to remember, to reflect, to meditate. Uh, it's not a it's not a time that we think, okay, we get a snack uh in between, you know, songs or whatever. This is us remembering what Jesus has done in purchasing our salvation, the atonement, the payment for our sins, that we might be reconciled to the Father, that our sins might be forgiven, and that we might be in a right relationship with Jesus because of what he's done on the cross. And that becomes so much more meaningful when we have taken that previous step, if you will, of letting God by his Spirit examine our hearts to see if there's anything in us that we need to confess and so, when we begin to see this, we realize, you know, we are unworthy to take uh, this this Lord's Supper, the breaking of the bread, the taking of the cup. We're so unworthy, and yet Christ bids us to come and to to worship and to remember what He has done, what He has purchased on our behalf for God's glory and for our good. And so. That's what we're doing when we come to the table. We we're remembering, we're remembering this. It's when you think about this, it's it's really a visible element that reminds us of the spiritual reality of God's grace toward us, expressed in Christ. And then, as we do this, the question maybe comes up from for some: How often do we do this? I mean, how often do we break the bread? Well, we don't see in Scripture how often they did this. Um, There are some who would say that they would do this every time they gathered um other people have said other scholars uh, have said that they more than likely didn't do it every time they gathered together so what what is the rhythm for this how often do we observe this i think the more important point in the scriptures we see is that when jesus said as often as you do this remember me so in other words when you when we come to the lord's supper when we're breaking the bread together that when we do we're not doing like the church at corinth did when they were when they were um Putting people uh, outside their homes because they weren't worthy, because they didn't have enough money, or because they weren't of the same, same social class, or that they were getting drunk together, or this was just some kind of feast that they were having. Um, we want to, 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 when we come to the table, we, we want to observe this and it be a time that is um, meaningful, reverent, um, reflective, significant um, to the true essence of what. We're coming to the table for, which is remembering the death, the crucifixion of our of our Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of our sin, and so how often do we take this? I think that's dependent upon the church that you attend. Some churches, and under the faith tradition I grew up in, uh, we would typically do it once a quarter, so basically four times a year. In my personal opinion, I think that's too few of times, um, but you may have you may be perfectly okay with that, and there's nothing in Scripture I can say that that makes it wrong, um, and that's your preference. Perfectly fine. Um, some take it weekly, and again, I would say that's that's fine too. I, I think, I think on both sides of that, you would say if you do it every week, does it become more liturgical and more methodical, where it's just something you do rather than truly remembering what Christ has done. Now, obviously every day we should be thankful for and remember and reflect on the goodness of God and what he did for us in sending his son, Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. Absolutely. Every day we should, we should remember that every week that we gather together, the the message that's preached should elevate, um, the gospel of Christ. It should elevate what Christ has done for us by way of the cross. It should, it should, it should point us to this gift of salvation that we have in Jesus. Um, but when we take the Lord's Supper, the thing we want to be careful of is it doesn't become ritualistic uh, in the sense that it loses its significance, which the Supper in itself and the element of of the bread that's symbolic of the body of Christ and the, the element of the cup that's symbolic of the blood of Christ, it never loses its significance. It's not the issue of the actual devotion to the discipline or the practice. It's it's an issue more with our hearts. And so if you could do that weekly, then I would say absolutely. Absolutely. The flip side of that also is when you do it so infrequently is we're not remembering enough. So I, whatever your cadence may be, it may be once a week, it may be once a month, it may be twice a month, it may be once a quarter. Whatever it may be, the, the most important thing is that we remember the significance of the breaking of the bread and that we, that we reflect on this and we, and we, we don't treat it casually. So, so as often as you eat of this, as often as you drink of the cup, um, we are remembering what Christ has done. And then the last thing I would say is this, that as we're devoted to the breaking of bread, we're, we're proclaiming the gospel hope that we have because of the redemptive work of Christ and this expectant and certain hope that we have in his return. That's what Paul was getting at. He was saying that or when, when, when Jesus was speaking to this, for often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. You know, Jesus tells us this. Paul's reminding us of this, that, that when we are taking the Lord's Supper, that we are proclaiming the gospel message. We're proclaiming what God has done for us in Christ. But we're also um, awaiting his glorious return when Jesus himself said that, that this, that this uh, bread and this cup, um, that, that we will have this with him. Um, that we will drink this new with him uh, when, he, when we come into his kingdom. That's, that's what he was saying back in Matthew chapter 26 when Jesus said, I'll not drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And I can't wait for that. The marriage supper of the Lamb, I can't wait for us to be able to experience that and seeing our Savior, Jesus Christ himself, the one who laid down his life for our sins, so that we can be reconciled to the Father. I can't wait for that day. But until that day, what are we to do? We should, we should devote ourselves to the breaking of bread, doing it as the church, the body of Christ, believers together, remembering his death. And as we do that, asking God to examine our hearts so that we can acknowledge and confess any sin that hinders our fellowship with Christ and our effective witnesses as followers of Jesus. And that we're that we remembering this sacrifice that we're not we're not coming to the table or coming to the the bread and the cup casually, but but we're coming before Him really with a contrite heart that still finds its joy in all that's been purchased by Christ on our behalf um, for God's glory and our good, and and then also that that we're proclaiming this gospel hope that we have uh, because of the redemptive work of Christ, and we are expectant of His return. So as you. Um, approach the table. As you have the, the Lord's Supper, the next time that you have this, my hope is that you would remember these things and, and that you would see the significance of this because it's so important that we practice this because it's more than just a discipline. It There is a bigger story that's going on here that God has invited us into. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. And if you found this encouraging or helpful to you and for you. Um, If you would, we would love for you to share this on your social media platforms, share it with your friends, uh, and also if you would go on your podcast platform and just give us a review or rating, that would help us be able to get this out to more people. We want them to hear more of the gospel and who Jesus is and who he's called us to be as the church as we rediscover his design for his church. Speaking of that, if you are in Conway, Arkansas or the Central arkansas area uh we would love for you if you are looking for a church home maybe you're disconnected from a church and you're just seeking god's direction um, to find out more about who we are as river valley church we're a church of house churches you can check us out online at rivervalleyconway.com or we'd love for you to follow us on instagram at river valley church conway thanks so much for listening and i look forward to you joining me next time on crossroads and culture